Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. On this podcast, we have Max Acredino, and Max is from Horizon Educational. If you were at the RE Plus conference, you might have walked by some of the crazy things they were doing, or I walked by it. I wasn't too sure what was going on. There was little remote control race cars, and I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Too bad I'm not about four decades younger, and I'd be one of those kids that were racing those cars. So, hey, Max. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me. The RE Plus Expo was great. I'm glad we were able to connect and be able to be a part of your show. Great, thanks a lot. So, Max, how about introducing yourself? Tell us all the great things about yourself. Don't tell us any of the bad things. I'm sure there's not any anyway. There aren't any bad things about me. I'm perfect in every way, shape, and form. At least that's what my parents always told me. Takes one to know one, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, I'm Max Eccardino. I'm the head of business development for Horizon Educational. Originally, actually, from Buffalo, New York, but now I'm actually based in Prague in the Czech Republic, where our global headquarters is, which is Horizon Educational. Awesome. And what, yeah, what Horizon Educational is, we're a global distributor and program leader in renewable energy. So what that means is that we distribute renewable energy education kits focused on all aspects of renewable energy. So wind, solar, alternative fuels, and of course, the main focus actually being hydrogen and fuel cells. And so we also take those STEM kits a bit further and we introduced a racing program, which is what you saw at RE+, which is our H2GP Pro, our Horizon Hydrogen Grand Prix Pro, where students build remote control cars actually powered by hydrogen and compete in races all around the world. So we organize this in 20 countries. And RE+, was actually our world final event where we had 26 teams represented there from all around the world. Wow. Awesome. So let's just go back for a second. And you said STEM. And so I know you don't mean a stem of a plant, but maybe we (laughs) might have some people that aren't familiar with that. So science, technology, engineering, math, I guess. Absolutely. And maybe I use more of an outdated term. I probably should have said STEAM now because we also include the A in arts. So it's science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. I don't want to say new. It's been around for several years, but a lot of focus is now going into the arts and design of programs. Yeah, I've seen some pretty cool solar art where they paint on solar modules and make solar cells different colors, which makes them not as efficient and things like that. And hey, you're in like ancient Prague over there in Europe, so you probably have a lot of museums of neat stuff over there. Absolutely, yeah. Coming from Buffalo, which, okay, a country that was founded 200 years ago to my apartment building was built 600 years ago. So my apartment is older than the country where I'm from. So uh-huh. it's unbelievable. As you're walking through the city, it's just a museum. I mean, everywhere you look, it's unbelievable architecture. Wow. That's like pre-Columbian apartment building. That's pretty cool. So like 1490, something like that. Huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like mm-hmm. 1400, excuse me, 1423. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be right around that, actually. Maybe my math's a little bit off. I might have exaggerated a little bit, but that's what we all do. I used to actually manage hotels. That's the reason I first came to Prague. And the hotel that I managed, it was built in 1546, which was unbelievable. And it's still standing today. And it's used as a small boutique luxury hotel. Mind-blowing to me to see something that old. Well, I'll have to come and stay there. 
So let's get back to the hydrogen and all that kind of stuff and what you're doing. And so, yeah, I was going around the RE Plus conference over there in Las Vegas, and it was kind of a crazy layout and hard to find things. And a couple of different times I walked by race cars, like remote control race cars and some kids and all that kind of stuff. What did you call it again? Like the GP or something like the that? H2GP, Horizon Hydrogen Grand Prix in the long form, or you can just call it H2GP. Okay, so H2 is also like the hydrogen molecule with two hydrogen atoms and yeah. then you've also got horizon hydrogen grand prix so we have a little bit of hh from horizon hydrogen but also anytime you find hydrogen out there it's always bonded with itself so there's always h2 with h2 gp uh-huh maybe not in science fiction though i know there's some kind of like Helium-3, that's what I was thinking of. They want to get it from the moon and all that kind of stuff. So I guess we're jumping into the future a little bit. And so when you're dealing with all this hydrogen, do you ever worry about it, like, turn into a hydrogen bomb or something like that? Not I mean, at our I mean, scale. I, I mean, careful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when most people think about hydrogen, the first thing I think of is, is the hydrogen bomb or some explosion. The really kind of unique thing about hydrogen is it's one of the lightest elements that we know of that that exists right now. Yeah, so pretty much is. If, I think you can get lighter than hydrogen. <laughs> exactly. So the good thing is, is it's like in the very rare, yeah, yeah, exactly. So in the very rare occasion that there would be a fire around hydrogen, it would burn almost instantly and it would actually just shoot straight up in the air. So if there actually is a hydrogen fire, which I've never experienced one in the eight years that we've actually been racing these cars with lots of collisions. We've never had a fire. We've had fires, but not any of that caught on hydrogen. But if it, there were, the hydrogen would shoot straight up in the air. It would also enter the atmosphere and basically turn into water in a way. And so the fire would burn extremely quick, where if you, you, know, you get in a crash, we'll say like with your petrol or gas car, all of that is just staying very low and spreading out wide. And so... Anything that you put a flame to will catch on fire is what I say, mm. but it really just depends on, you know, what you want to say is explosive. So, you know, anything under pressure and anything under heat is bound to explode at some point, but hydrogen, it will burn a bit quicker than the fuels that we're using now. Yeah. And if you look at lead acid batteries, if you overcharge them, it does create hydrogen. And that's one of the things that we have to do according to the National Electrical Code is to make sure that we have airflow if you're dealing with lead acid batteries because then it will diffuse it enough to where it won't be explosive. And another thing that I thought was kind of interesting too, is not only can you put hydrogen with a fuel cell, but you could combust it. And so there's like hydrogen race cars out there that are using internal combustion engines, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool if you're like one of those rednecks that likes that loud noise. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder like, well, maybe it's better to just get a fuel cell and a real awesome speaker under the hood, and then you could make even a better noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite interesting on that. Like we've seen, I know Toyota, they introduced their hydrogen combustion engine, I believe it was with the Yaris. They introduced that the 24-hour Le Mans race, and they actually competed with oh. a hydrogen combustion engine there. And also JCB, which is you know, kind of the equivalent of Caterpillar in Europe for construction equipment, they tried going with fuel cells, but what they found is that fuel cells need to be in a very clean environment. You know, they can't have dirty air around it. So they actually developed their own combustion engine with hydrogen. I was able to go see it up close and it was really, I mean, it was quite spectacular. It wasn't as loud as what you would expect at a normal construction site. It was actually quieter than a typical combustion engine. 
But again, you know, there isn't byproducts coming out of it. And for them to be able to work in a dirty area, which is a construction zone, they found their solution, which is hydrogen combustion engines. So I think there is a place for it when it comes to racing and the stuff we do, doing things under pressure in a school environment. We're not able to develop something like that. So we work with the fuel cells, which are very safe and a lot easier to produce on a small scale than such a combustion engine on a small scale. What else is interesting about that is we call it stoichiometry. So that's like a chemistry equation. And so you put H2, or like you could say 2H2, plus an O2, that's oxygen, that's right out of the air, that's how we breathe. And then it turns into H2O, and that's what happens when you burn hydrogen. So it's weird, you burn hydrogen and it makes water. And I guess it's not like drips of water are gonna come out, it'll be a vapor because it's all hot and all that stuff. But it's kind of a weird thing. And then also it's kind of like what happens with a fuel cell too, but it's doing it electrically, sort of like a battery almost in a weird way. And it is doing the same thing. It's making a byproduct of water. So whenever I see one of those Toyota Marais that they're, you know, hydrogen, I always go look at their exhaust pipe and see the little water dripping off the back and think that's kind of cool. And so I guess astronauts and space people and all that kind of stuff would be using the same type of a thing. So you get water on the moon, you can do electrolysis to it. You got a positive and a negative. Off the negative comes hydrogen. Off positive comes oxygen. Here, we don't need to store the oxygen because it's all over. We breathe it, you know. But mm -hmm. in space, it's really important to keep the oxygen. For some reason, I haven't figured that one out yet, like <laughs> why we would need oxygen in space. But that's some of the stuff that we're going to be seeing perhaps in the future. Maybe we can get all these wars off planet. I think that would be a good idea. It's not as bad if we're fighting a war on the moon or something in, <laughs> down here on Earth. Kind of. Yeah, at least not the climate war down here, you know, right? Yeah. Let's, let's try to solve that one as well. You know, that's really a great example. And thanks for explaining it in that way that, you know, I think a lot of people, they have hydrogen all around us and we don't really understand that it's all around us. I mean, if you use, for example, a CPAP machine, if you're snoring, that is an electrolyzer that's inside that. You're right, you put water in there, it makes oxygen, and you're breathing oxygen, and hydrogen just exits. And a lot of people have this in their home, and they don't even realize it, that they're creating hydrogen in their home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I didn't realize that with a CPAP machine. That's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all different types of hydrogen, and they use all this color system for it. And you got to be careful with colors. You can get canceled pretty quick if you start <laughs> using the wrong colors. But I think rainbow hydrogen would be pretty cool, though. You know, like beautiful. <laughs> you probably know a lot about the different colors of hydrogen. And so, first of all, I'll just talk about the green hydrogen. That's the one you make with renewable energy. You make electricity and you split the water molecule and you make hydrogen. So what do you know about the other ones? I'll kind of step back into the green hydrogen and clarify really what green hydrogen green. is. Because green hydrogen has nothing to do with how clean the energy is used to create the hydrogen. So green hydrogen, all that means is that you're using electrolysis. So using electricity to create hydrogen. So it doesn't say if you're using solar or wind, you could be burning coal to create electricity and you could be making green hydrogen I from didn't, coal. I wasn't aware of that. Huh. So we kind of say it's the color scale is great for introducing people to what hydrogen is, but in a real scale, the color scale doesn't make sense. And so most of the industry wants to actually convert to a carbon intensity scale because green hydrogen, it's great 
if you're using solar, wind, or other types of renewable, hydroelectric, things like that, hydropower. But most hydrogen in this world is really gray hydrogen, and it's being made from basically they're extracting it as a byproduct of natural gas and and so ethanol. So we call that gray. So the natural gas being stripped is gray. Okay. That's called gray hydrogen. And right now that's 95% of the hydrogen in the world that are being used in fueling stations is gray hydrogen. Because it's cheap. Because yeah. it's cheap. It's cheap and it's very accessible because it's a byproduct of something that already exists, right? So they're not having to do anything. It was already a byproduct when you are extracting natural gas. So basically oil companies are able to sell something that they've already have for a profit. So it makes sense to invest in it if you're an oil company. It's not cheap for the consumer, but it is fairly cheap, I think, to actually create. So what most companies and what really the industry wants to get to is this carbon intensity scale, like I said. Because with green hydrogen, it could be very carbon intense or it could be zero. You don't know just because you say green. Gray as well, it might not be that carbon intense. They might be using some cleaner sources or using a process called steam reformation. Steam which reformation. Which is actually yeah, heard of steam that. reformation, which is where you're taking pre-existing carbon, you're not creating any carbon, but you're taking pre-existing carbon and creating hydrogen out of it. So you can use, for example, so, municipal waste. So when you say pre-existing carbon, do you mean like hydrocarbons, I guess? Could be. It could be like it's plastics, not gonna... it can be municipal waste, it can be stuff that's already out there. Yeah, it's um, not going to be like diamonds or graphite or something like that. No. Like that would be just like things that are pure carbon, but like hydrocarbons, carbons with exactly. a hydrogen on them too. And by the exactly. way, too, the most abundant element in the universe by far is hydrogen. It was the first thing after the Big Bang is we had hydrogen and there's way more hydrogen molecules in our body than any other molecule. Yeah, and they're everything. They're everything we touch. They're on the table you touch. They're in the computer. Our headphones are everywhere around us. There is some type of hydrogen. You know what? I should take that back too. I said molecules, but just like atoms. That's what I meant, atoms. atoms. Yeah, so there's actually one company in particular, which is really interesting, and I recommend looking them up after, called Raven SR. And what they're doing is they're cleaning up municipal waste. So they're building actually a facility in Northern California around the Bay Area where they are taking municipal waste, they're taking the landfill, and they're converting that landfill, they're compressing it down under immense pressure and heat, and they're able to extract hydrogen and other sustainable fuels out of it. And there's still, of course, carbon will be released because carbon is in the materials they're using, but they're also using a carbon capture system. So they're actually taking the carbon that would come out of it and they're capturing it into a solid. So it's not being re-released back into the atmosphere and they're making the landfill smaller. So they're also taking space pollution and compressing that down into a renewable gas, which I think is fascinating. And, and there's a couple other companies as well. Biotech is another one that's doing something similar. And we're going to see that pop up a lot more, especially with all the funding going into all the hydrogen hubs right now across the U.S. and in Europe and around the world. There's so much funding going into the creation of hydrogen. So I think we're going to see a lot more technologies and companies going to this and also electrolysis as well. Yeah. And another thing that I just wanted to mention too is there are many different definitions depending on your source. And so some sources might say green hydrogen could only be made with renewables. Like I know a lot of people I hear them talk about it that way. I'm looking at some website right here too and it was also saying turquoise hydrogen 
this is the World Economic Forum website, and they're doing it with pyrolysis, with methane, pyrolysis. Mm -hmm. And then blue hydrogen would be just the same as gray hydrogen, like that you explained, which is SMR or gasification. And SMR is steam methane reforming, what you were talking about. And so the blue hydrogen would be if you did carbon capture after it. So like you do all this dirty stuff, but then you catch the carbon and then it doesn't heat up the planet and all that. I just thought I would mention, so we see that a lot of times in the renewable energy industry with like multiple definitions, like for what is medium voltage and high voltage and low voltage, there's all these different things that sometimes high voltage could be a hundred times more than one definition versus the other. So we can see all kinds of different definitions. Absolutely. Colors are exciting, right? We all know colors. Everyone can see it. You look up behind you, you look up and you see the rainbow. So I think it's also just that a way to also introduce this to the world is that green also, you know, it sounds sexy, right? We're all looking for a greener planet. We want green energy. So it's easy to say green is the optimal solution. I think it is. I think creating electrolysis is the best solution. And that's the direction I believe that we should go into is green hydrogen, but only if it is from renewable sources of Definitely. electricity. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess one of the things if we look at like hydrogen versus lithium batteries is the round trip efficiency for, you know, you go to electrical to chemical back to electrical for lithium ion batteries is great. I mean, it's like in the 90s, 95% perhaps, something like that. And then with hydrogen, if you're doing green hydrogen, so you're making hydrogen from electricity, the last I've heard is somewhere around 35%, which right off the bat doesn't sound so well, but then when you look at it from different perspectives, then it makes up for it. And so one of the things is we have long-term storage. You know, we talk about seasonal storage and things like that, not cost-effective to like have that many lithium ion batteries to last for a year. You're not gonna do something like that. But with the hydrogen, we could just store it underground in a cavern, maybe an old gas well or something. I know they talk about salt caverns and different things like that yeah. and so you could store it for long periods of time so like currently right now in california somewhere on the magnitude of a billion dollars a year worth of solar and wind mostly solar is curtailed that means they just have to turn it down because the sun is too bright or the wind's blowing and the sun's going at the same time and the demand is lower and they can't do anything with that electricity but turning it into hydrogen is a great thing. And so we're working on that. And then another thing about hydrogen too, is it is a lot lighter than a lithium ion battery. So they were looking at using hydrogen and fuel cells for like electric jets for airplanes. So you could have renewable energy flying an airplane, whereas like batteries are heavy. Hydrogen, the lightest thing. Absolutely. And I think pretty much every mode of transportation, maybe outside of rockets, we could use electricity for. And I'm going to say electricity as a whole, because batteries, they have their spots. I think sure. most of us driving a battery electric car will be enough. If you have a garage at home, if you have a place to store it, you, know, you can plug it into the grid, and you're not driving 200 miles a day, then why not get a battery electric car? I think the long distance, the heavy duty transportation, also flights, this is where hydrogen is going to come into play because you need to take for account the weight of the batteries. If you're driving a class six or class eight truck, the weight of your truck also counts into your payload. 
So if you have tons of batteries on there and that's less weight that you can carry, which is less money you can make from your car being on the road, your truck being on the road. And also yeah. at the same time, if your truck's not on the road because you're charging, that's also money you're losing. Same thing. Anytime a plane's on the ground, it's losing money, right? You want to be in the air. You want to be on the road. So with batteries in that sense, that's where I think the biggest downfall is, where I think hydrogen will be able to be the optimal solution is that you're driving a truck and you fill it up in 20 minutes and you're back on the road for another 800 miles. I would much rather do that than sit for two hours waiting for the truck yeah. to charge to drive 400 miles. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does make sense for those big trucks. It kind of reminds me of what they call the rocket equation, where you're trying to go into space and, you know, they're using rocket fuel and it's so heavy that they only get a little small payload into space and they're like 90% fuel when they're taking off. And that's why they have to drop all the different stages. I thought it would be kind of funny too, to try to set the world's record for a lithium ion battery, like for how long you could drive. And then you would start off with like all these trailers towing batteries and stuff. And then you just keep dropping trailers on your way. And <laughs> maybe you can do that with your little toys, with your race cars. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the future of trucking, right? I mean, as we get into more autonomous driving, I think the goal is what you have one lead car and then several kind of following in the back behind it. So maybe that's the future is you have a battery is able to swap out in these other trucks behind it. That maybe will work. It sounds expensive and sounds heavy, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the race cars. So like, what did I see at RE Plus? Probably a lot of people that are listening we're at RE Plus and they probably walked by and they saw these race cars and they're like, what is going on here? I read somewhere you had a racetrack that was like duplicated in different places in the world. And then you have people competing and then the finals were over there at RE Plus. And so how did that go? Or like, when did the first race happen? And then who won? <laughs> did you lay a lot of money on the winner? <laughs> you know, betting on students might be a bit frowned upon, but it was Vegas, so I'm sure that there were some lines out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I saw all the bookies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, what the H2GP is? It's an academic program for middle school and high school students all around the world that actually build and design these remote control cars that are powered by a hydrogen fuel cell. So. Students in 20 different countries got a hydrogen fuel cell, a remote control car chassis, electrolyzer, and metal hydrides or hydrogen storage tanks, and they had to build their car from scratch. They had to mount their fuel cell. They had to create the hydrogen using our hydrofill, our electrolyzer. And then after they assembled it all, they competed in a series of endurance races locally. So in the U.S., where our largest region is California, we have about 120 teams in California that we work with that all built these cars in their schools, and then they competed in endurance races. And I say endurance races because they range from two, four, and six hours long. And so this is throughout the whole school year, and they only get a limited amount of hydrogen and a very small battery to be able to make their car last that long. And so they need to make an efficient car. And so after they compete in the two-hour race, they then move on to the four-hour race, the top cars. And then that is our, we'll say, regional final. It's the state final in the U.S. or national final in other countries. And so this is where we pick the top teams from each region to then move on to our world final event, which is what you saw at RE+. So over the four days, RE+, invited us to participate there and bring all these students from around the world 
to be able really to show off to the industry that there's a great program out there for these companies to look for future hires and interns and to grab these students and work with them. But also for our students to also see that the industry is really there and that it's not just what they're reading in their textbook, that these are real jobs that they were trying to teach them about. And so during the four days, the students arrived. They competed on the first day in some practice races, and they also presented their car to a panel of judges from the industry. So we brought in our sponsors and several other uh, some academics and other companies to be able to judge the cars on their innovation, the design of their cars, their public speaking skills as well. And they also had to do it in English. So there's several countries where English is not their native language, and they had to do this in English. They also had to make a video presentation, kind of like a commercial. And this is how we judge them on their public speaking, teenagers speaking to adults. After they did that presentation, they then went through a technical inspection like you would see in a NASCAR or an F1 race or Indy where we make sure that their car is following the rules. And then they start racing. So we had a, a qualifier race. Yeah, yeah we, we didn't find anyone cheating in the initial inspection, but during the actual world final race, there was a couple cars that during the race, they may have manipulated something not sure exactly what was wrong with their cars, but they were taken off the track because they were not legal at the moment. Uh So they were penalized for, I believe it was 20 minutes, and then they were able to fix their car and get it back on the track in order to compete. So it was really amazing to see these students, one, make the cultural connection from different countries, speaking different languages all next to each Mm -hmm. other, and then competing over six hours long and having the focus be able to compete for six hours. So ultimately, so, it was a team from California, from Los Angeles, California, uh, that did win the world championship. They were the reigning world champions, actually. Great. Uh, what, what part School. of California? I mean, you said Los Angeles, but what part of Los Angeles? From Hollywood. Um, Hollywood. You, man. A bunch of movie star kids or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking Could about, be. like, there, some people were caught cheating and we'd be like, well... Where were they from? <laughs> or maybe you can't. <laughs> I'm not sure which team was so caught out there. Pick your favorite country to pick on, and we could call that. But I don't want to pick on any countries right now. But I, mean, I think <laughs> one in my head. I just don't want to get in trouble. If you watch, actually, the recap video, you would definitely, I think Bulgaria would be your favorite country on there. And in our recap video, we really followed the story of Bulgaria because they were leading almost uh-huh. the whole race. And then in the last 30 minutes, they just dropped and dropped and dropped. And it was a heartbreak because, you know, coming from a small country like Bulgaria, where Uh budgets, especially in schools, are very much more limited than, say, a school Uh from Southern California, you really thought that they were going to do it. And they just kept going down and down and down. And it was depressing to see. We were all rooting for them. Yeah. And then you know what you need to watch out for cheating. There's a guy named Mark Twain. And he wrote this story called The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. And so somebody put buckshot, which is like BBs, into a bullfrog to make it not win the jumping frog contest. And so I graduated from high school up in Calaveras County, and our mascot was the bullfrog. So that's why I know all about that story. So you got to look out. Maybe that's what was happening with Bulgaria is somebody was weighing down their car. I think every time it comes, you know. We have had even teams 
because it's really interesting. I mean, these students, when they're designing their cars, they also design telemetry systems in there and other electronic systems to be able to track the data coming out of it, how much voltage is in the battery, how much voltage is coming out of the fuel cell, the speed, how much hydrogen is left, things like that. But one team actually a few years ago figured out that they could hack into other teams' telemetry systems and steal their data. And so they could know who was where in the race, whether they can maybe speed up later in the race or if they should start driving now because other teams have a lot of fuel left. And so now teams actually have to put software in their car so no one hacks into their systems. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. And then you think the people that were smart enough to know how to hack into the car they probably got good jobs, <laughs> Silicon Valley jobs. These are kids, historically, it's from Southern California where these ideas are coming from. But we have success stories of one school, for example, Steam Legacy, which is a low-income school in Southgate, I believe is the name of the city in L.A. County, LAUSD school, primarily Spanish-speaking and first-generation families. And their first year in the program, we actually invited them to the world final. We had an extra spot, so they came And they ended up winning the world final race their very first year where most of their team didn't speak English. They actually had their first female driver in the program as well who won the world final. (laughs) It could have been. Uh Yeah. (laughs) So she's a famous, what, Formula One or NASCAR? Uh, NASCAR, NASCAR. wasn't it? I think it was NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was NASCAR. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm not sure if we'll see NASCAR convert to sustainable fuel anytime uh-huh. soon. <laughs> That's another thing I was going to ask you about, too, is I know there's something called Formula E, and they do it in Europe. It's sort of like electric Formula One type of cars. Mm-hmm. And you're even over there in Europe, so you probably know a lot about it. And so with the Formula E cars, is it lithium-ion batteries? Is that what they're doing? They might be able to do better with some hydrogen in there because they wouldn't have to stop and charge up, or I'm not sure how that works. So in the Formula E competition, right now they are using lithium-ion battery, but there are some developments going into it to possibly convert over to fuel cells right now. So there is a company called Symbio, which is a company based out of France, which partnered with, I want to say it was Toyota for the chassis, and they introduced their fuel cell into the competition. So they are testing it out right now to see how it goes. I'm not sure of the results, but there is some progress in this, and I think it will take off in the future. I think hydrogen is the future of racing. We see it's every racing organization out there, I think they're all looking for something cleaner, right? They're going to have to. They know that batteries won't be able to keep up. So what is the next alternative? I'm hearing biodiesel as something, a renewable diesel. I don't think that that's the solution. I've heard sustainable fuel I don't know exactly what that means. I think it just means diesel made from corn, which is not great for the engine. So or for what the is the solution? Yeah. Or for the corn fields? Or, yeah. yeah. So I think that it's going to be hydrogen will be the solution, but not that many people know about it. And so that's what we're trying to do is introduce hydrogen to young people to be able to convert F1 and NASCAR and Indy and all of these into hydrogen someday in the cars that we drive on the road because it's these young people that are part of our programs now. They're the ones that are actually going to be developing the technology in 10, 20 years for these racing organizations to use. Mm -hmm. Great, great. And so another thing too that I wanted to mention is that people are always worried about this new technology, whether it be hydrogen or lithium batteries or all this kind of stuff. 
catching fire, exploding, things like that. It's always in the news. It makes the front page and stuff like that. And then we can always go like, well, look at the gas cars. Speaking of Hollywood, those things make really nice looking explosions, you know, and you're not going to see anything like that. I know at least with my car, the electric car, it's just more like sizzling and stuff like that. But anytime you're storing energy, there's going to be a chance that you might release all that energy all at once. And they call that an explosion. And that could be with any type of energy. It could be with a flywheel even, just spinning something fast. If it you know catches loose, it can make shrapnel and all kinds of bad things. Gasoline, diesel, hydrogen, lithium-ion batteries, nuclear. You know, we sure don't like it when those ones explode. But anytime you're storing a lot of energy, there's just a chance that that energy could get released all at once. And we like to use energy because we're humans and we just have to be aware that that is something that can happen anytime you store energy. And people out there should know that just because it's a new technology, not to overly pay attention to it, whereas you have to realize what you're replacing. So we're trying to replace dirty fossil fuels that are changing our atmosphere and things like that with clean things. And then people are picking on things like, well, you're not recycling your solar modules. And it's like, well, look at the alternative. And it's like the solar modules last so long that we're not going to even know about when it's time to recycle them. I mean, it's like the warranties might be 30 years for performance or 20 years for performance or something like that, but they could last for a hundred years. I mean, I have one's solar modules that are from the 1980s and that's like the amount of solar that was installed in the 1980s compared to right now is probably like less than a millionth of what we have installed right now or something on that magnitude like a millionth so we just don't want to worry too much about like over showing off explosions or something like that but that's what the news always gets attracted to i remember one time my friend they called it critical mass. I don't know if they still have it. And it's just like all these bike riders take over Berkeley or San Francisco. I did it once. They don't know which direction they're going. And then half of the mass goes one way, half goes the other. They end up meeting on the other street. They're blocking traffic. They're protesting cars. And one time they passed a car that was on fire. <laughs> it was kind of ironic. And they were all shouting, one less car. <laughs> So anyway, that was before we had electric vehicles, of course, hmm. and I'm not trying to promote people blocking traffic or anything like that. I think it's pretty awesome what you're doing. And so is it a nonprofit? Where's Horizon Educational registered? So our global headquarters is actually based in Czech Republic is our parent company. And we have in the U.S. and in Los Angeles is actually our U.S. headquarters based right in LA. Okay. And as a distributor, we are a corporation, we are a for-profit, but we organize our events through the H2GP Foundation. Their goal is to get as many renewable energy education programs out in the world and to get as many students involved as possible. It makes it very easy for companies to become a part, to be able to donate into the program. Schools as well, it's very often that schools are looking for clean energy programs and we organize it all through the H2GP Foundation that is actually our program manager exclusively in the U.S. And we also partner with several other nonprofits around the world that organize our programs locally to be able to get this into the hands of as many students as possible. So I'm assuming like you get grants and things like that, right? So is the foundation like a 501c3, something like that? Yeah, so the H2GP Foundation is a 501c3, so it is eligible for grants, and it's also eligible to 
I accept donations and have tax deductions for companies than individuals that want to do that. I know I have a billion in my pocket right now. <laughs> if you do, we'll gladly take it. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but it's there to get grants. Horizon Educational itself also writes several grants to them. We work with several companies to use this for sponsorship and marketing and advertising. And so through them and through Horizon Educational, that we are able to also write our own grants that go out. So Toyota is the prime example in California. They're our naming partner. And so they write a grant to actually sponsor AD teams in California to participate in this program. So they pay for three quarters of our California region just because of their promotion of the Toyota Mirai. And they use it, of course, for advertising purposes, but the main reason they do it is for workforce development. So we started with them five years ago just trying to build up the workforce when Toyota's headquarters was in California. Now they moved it to Texas, but also when they were in California because they knew that they were going to need competent employees in the near future. So they started investing in our program, and now it's expanded to many automakers. Everyone who's in the hydrogen and fuel cell world pretty much partners with us. And a lot of just renewable energy companies in general, solar and wind companies, because we educate and we motivate the young people to pursue a career in renewable energy. Great, great. So maybe what we could do is talk a little bit about just the real basic technology. And so you've got water and you have electricity and you put direct current in that water. It might have a little bit of salt in there or something like that. And it pretty much splits apart the water molecules and you capture that hydrogen. And then you put it through a fuel cell to make it go back into water. You take oxygen out of the atmosphere, you take that hydrogen, and then that fuel cell makes electricity by putting that hydrogen and that oxygen back together. So that's pretty much what you have. You have electrolyzer, and then you have a fuel cell to put them back together. Does that sound right? Yeah, exactly. That's a great explanation for it. And then you sell these things. So I'm looking at your website right now and you have all of these kits. Maybe I should get one. And I guess, can we do all what we were just talking about with these kits? Absolutely. So we actually have the smallest electrolyzer on the market. It's actually a 0.3 watts electrolyzer. It's about Uh two inches by two inches. You can start with that. We have kits that are very basic that were designed for elementary age students. But we also see this used in several companies and even universities because it's new, where you create hydrogen using like electrolyzer. So you separate the hydrogen and oxygen from water, you store it in a little syringe, and then you power a small motor and your car goes for 30 feet. We see this in universities even where they get their cars going 400 feet. It's really impressive what they do. And then we just introduced a new program this week actually called the H2GP Sprint which if you're looking at our website, it's probably the first options to show up. And what that is, that's now going to be an international program where students can race globally, a small one to 20 scale car that fits on actually Pinewood Derby tracks. The Scouts could also participate in this. That's the Cub Scouts. I was a Cub Scout. Absolutely. So you participated, you did the Pinewood Derby. So what we did is we took the Pinewood Derby track and said, how can we make this something sustainable and make a bigger competition out of it that we can use in schools? Make it go so, uphill, yeah. Make it go uphill, downhill on a flat track. And what it is, it's actually a flat track now where you take a Pinewood Derby car, you put a fuel cell and a motor on it, and then you can race. It's a car that runs on hydrogen. And as you scale it up, it's actually the fastest car, fastest hydrogen car in the world once you scale it. It's a one to 20 scale. So in theory, it's the fastest car. 
But what's really cool about this program is you can compete locally. So say you're in the Bay Area and you want to race in your classroom. You set up the track, you race, you upload your results to the global database, and you can compete with teams in Australia and Netherlands and Chile, wherever they are in the world, because everyone's using the same track and using the same software. And it's really great to have this international aspect without actually having to leave your classroom. And then we have our Pro, which is the remote control car, but then several other STEM kits there focused on wind, solar, ethanol, supercapacitors, batteries. Like solar hydrogen science kit. And so I guess it's got a little solar cell there. And then it would have an electrolyzer and a fuel cell. And then make something spin. Looks like a little propeller, a little load. Exactly. So that's what it is. Basically, you can take that solar panel, put it outside or... We also have a lamp that mimics UV rays. If you are doing it inside or if you're not in sunny California, mm-hmm. then you can use it inside your classroom. And exactly, instead of using battery or plugging that electrolyzer into the grid, you're using solar power and then you can power a little fan. That's at horizoneducational.com. And I see that solar hydrogen science kit, the STEM kit for $144. Absolutely. That's pretty neat. So I'll have to get one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Write me and we'll make sure we uh, we, we set you up with one. (laughs) Great. All right. Thanks a lot. So let's see. Is there anything else that we should talk about or that you wanted to cover? I believe we spoke about our program, spoke about the products. And thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks so much. And do you know about rubber band energy storage? I remember we used to have these little airplanes and we wind the rubber band. Maybe we could just do that. We don't need gasoline and lithium ion batteries and hydrogen. (laughs) I mean, we can just eliminate the bottom of cars and we can also just go Flintstone style too. Yeah, I know. I need to get better (laughs) shoes. (laughs) Great. Okay. Besides going to your website, and that is horizoneducational.com, is there any other places you want people to look for you? Absolutely. Check us out on social media. That's where we post all of our fun videos and recaps of our races. If you search Horizon Educational on Instagram or Facebook or especially YouTube, You'll learn all about our products there. We have great explanatory videos on there. So if you are a teacher or you're looking for something for your staff, you can find great videos explaining why, how hydrogen works, why it's important. And we also have on our website completely free curriculum for anyone. So if you are interested great. in learning more and going more in depth about solar panels, not even hydrogen, just solar in general, you can go and download some solar curriculum and learn how solar panels work and again, the benefits of them, or maybe even the cons of them. You know, we we really explore both sides of it on why solar is better in some places and wind is better in others and things like that. So you'll be able to learn all about that on our website. So our website, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube are really the places to check us out. And of course, on LinkedIn, that's where I am mostly. So if you do want to interact with me, you can reach out to Max Eccardino on LinkedIn, and I'll get back to you right away. Yeah, and we'll be sure to put that on the show notes and you spell your last name A-C-C-O-R-D-I-N-O. Correct. You have dino there at the end, so that must have been have to do with that Flintstone reference that you had. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Uh-huh. Most people just call it accordion, so I never got a dino joke. It was always that my name is spelled wrong and I should be spelled like accordion. So. Okay, well, that's because you're over there in Eastern Europe. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go pick up an accordion. So it's been great talking to you, Max. And thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. To find out more about solar and storage and hydrogen, got to add hydrogen to my classes, 
go to solar, S-E-A-N, that's solarshawn.com, and you can check out all my classes. I help prepare people for NABSEP exams. I've written nine books, and I'm working on another one. Got to make it even 10. So get yourself educated. Learn about all this STEM stuff. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Sean. All right, take care. Okay, so that's the end of the show.